Welcome to the Forerunners Podcast. You're listening to part one of our interview with Dr. Stephen McKenzie, physical therapist at Direct Performance. Enjoy. All right, everybody. Welcome, Stephen McKenzie. How are you, man? I'm great, man. Thanks it's, for having me over. Yeah, it's good to have you. Um, we're going to dive right into this, man, so we can get moving. Where are you from? I'm from right here. I'm from Virginia Beach. Um, grew up in Kempsville, um, Fairfield Elementary, Woodstock Elementary, Kempsville Middle, Kempsville High. Dang, you went so, back to elementary, dude. Yeah, so I've been here. <laughs> well, it's unfortunate that you're a chief. I'm a Tallwood Lion. I think we yeah. probably spent our days dominating your school, but you know, it's okay. I was actually best. supposed to go to Tallwood, and we moved like shortly before that and into the Kempsville zone. Oh, so. yeah. That's- that's we funny. could have been at the same school. <laughs> yeah, dude, it would have been amazing. So you're 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 a chief. You're born and bred here in Virginia Beach. Um, let's talk about your family a little bit, dude. Yeah, tell us about them. Absolutely. Um, I've got my wife Melissa. Um, she is just obviously the most incredible person I know. That's why I married her. Yeah. <laughs> um, she is one of those superstar women that can just do it all. Um, She's a mom. She's a CPA. She's an association, kind of like a small business owner, and our bookkeeper, an accountant, and yeah. kind of confidant soundboard. Mm-hmm. She is just um, one of those people that I think anybody can talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, you had that experience. Yeah. So you got to see that when yeah. you came over. Uh, but I just I can't say enough good things about my wife. Yeah. You know? I'm just super lucky to have her. And then. Um, Three girls in my family, yeah, so man. it's a wild and crazy ride every single day. <laughs> Girl dad, yeah. <laughs> so I've got um, Lindley, who is my oldest. She's seven. She is uh, just started back to school mm-hmm. after this whole virtual craziness. Uh, yeah. So she's in second grade. Um, she is a firecracker. Um, she doesn't take no for an answer. Girl that gets what she wants. <laughs> She is a colossal pain in the ass <laughs> constantly, but I think that's what makes her awesome. Yeah. Um, she's going to be one of these people that I can already tell is like just going to do awesome things. Oh, yeah. I can. Know? I mean, l- let me say this before yeah. you go into yeah. your, your, the, your other two daughters. Uh, I usually ask people about their family and don't know their family at all, but I actually got to, uh, to meet your family and your daughter's are so cool dude and uh lindley she left a a major impression on me she reminded me of my niece who really is a self-starter and uh you can tell that she's just got her her fingers sunk into the world ready to take it on dude so i can attest to that she made a big impression on me yeah she she's something Um, you know, that red hair, like she truly is like a true firecracker. Like she fits every single one of those stereotypes. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, number two is Harper. Uh, she is five. She just started kindergarten. She is the complete opposite of her older sister. She can be shy. Mm -hmm. She's by far like my most loving, sweetest kid, like, She'll, she's the one that will cuddle up with you. Yeah. She's the one that will get super upset about things, take mm-hmm. things super personally, yeah. and probably hold it against you for a while. Where Lindley might get, 
mad and be over it in two yeah. minutes, mm -hmm. you know, and then be right back in the way of getting what she wants. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's but yeah, Harper's a lover. So, um, but she's, she's super smart and just how much growth in the last like couple of weeks with starting kindergarten has been incredible mm -hmm. to see this kid grow. Um, yeah. And then last but not least, uh, the baby Camden, um, she's three. So preschool age. Um, she's, if, if anybody would have told me that I would have had a daughter that was like more intense than my first kid, I would have been like, you are so full of shit, but it happened. It was, she was supposed to be the boy, you know? Um, but <laughs> that didn't turn out my way. <laughs> and she is, you know, a girl that will never do what you want her to do. She's got her own mind. You know, I think, I feel like the morning that you were over, like she was standing in the fridge. I don't know if you were still there. And you, you may not, you may have already left to, to go start running, but she, funny. she's a girl who knows what she wants and she's going to get it. That's funny. This was a, this is a great family profile. Right so now. I think that gives you the good snapshot. Yeah. And you got a dog. I do have a dog. Everybody knows it because of the picture I posted of you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The most flattering picture you could have ever posted of me. I will go on record saying you agreed. I did agree. I was, he was like, full disclosure, I think Danny asked me for a message. I've been so, asked me for a picture. He's like, I need a headshot. And I was like, so busy. He was like, if you don't get me a headshot in the next, I was like, use what you got. And he's like, this is what we're using. And I was like, let's go for it. I'm game. Um, and honestly, like a good portion of my selfies are me and him running. I don't yeah. know. That's just like the only time we have where it's just the two of us. So mm -hmm. yeah. Um, Kemper, uh, we call him Kemp. Um, because of Kempsville, um, yeah. that's where we met. So, um, yeah, that's where my, me and my wife met. So, yeah. um, that's how the dog got his name, but he's a Vishla. He is a runner just like me. Um, I haven't yet to outrun him yet. Mm -hmm. Um, Vishlas are super fast, super fit, great dogs. I've never even heard of that dog, of that breed. Yeah. Vishla? Vishla. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people haven't. A lot of people see the picture in the office and like, what kind of dog is that? A, a Greyhound, a Weimaraner? And I'm like, no, that's really close. Like, if you know a Weimaraner, they're just the next bloodline over. They're always brown. They're a little bit smaller. Gotcha. Um, but, yeah, he was the first baby. So he's 10. So he's getting up there, but he's still got a lot of energy. Yep. Yep. Well, let's move on to the elephant in the room, eh? It's what everybody wants to talk about. And that's the beard, dude. <laughs> So, some of you know that when you got a beard, you have this connection with other bearded guys. It's the, it's the beard yeah. gang, you know? Yeah. And uh, I messed up and trimmed my beard down before our yeah. meeting, and now I'm sitting here. It, it could be like the number one biggest mistake of your life up to this point. <laughs> if, if we would have taken a photo of the two of us with our beards, the internet probably would have broke. Oh, man. <laughs> Steven, Steven said that uh, he said we should put a, put up a vote to who has the best beer, and I told him I won't fight battles. I know I'll lose. <laughs> and then Scott Ward, if I'd send you all the, the burns that he's been roasting me with all week long, it's been horrible. He, uh, my wife's at Disney right, right now, and he said she's not coming back because I shaved my beard. <laughs> so, but we all know that Steven can have one of the most glorious beards there are. It's well kept. I, I think it's like a more recent COVID find. Um, 
I mean, I've had a beard for a long time. Yeah. I think um, I had a go th- goatee all the way through college. Yeah. And then all the way through PT school. And then I think it was probably like a year into year into my PT career. We went on a trip um, to Breckenridge to go skiing with my wife's family. And it just grew out of pure laziness. I'm like, I'm not going to shave this trip. And then we were only gone like six days. And I had a full beard. So oh, <laughs> so I trimmed it up. I like, kept it clean. And I kept it, I kept it clean and short for... All the way, probably up until COVID happened. Yeah. And then I was like, I'm wearing this mask all day and wearing these gaiters all day. So, so you're so saying I just stopped shaving and the glory that's on yeah. your face right now mm-hmm. is actually pretty new. Yeah, that's pretty new. I've had a beard. I've had that beard since Breck, but it was always trimmed a little bit closer. Yeah. And then COVID I, is when I grew it out. I feel like this is how I know you, though. Like, so maybe just because we've been face to face during COVID a few times, that's why. That's probably why. So So this is relatively recent. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, it feels recent, but I feel like COVID has been going on for like 10 years already. Here's, (laughs) so maybe I don't know where this weird time warp. (laughs) It is. It is weird. Here's the thing about the beard, dude. You can't turn back. And if you do... You get burned real hard. I know, and I think you've taught me that, so I think it's here to stay. Now, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I think, honestly, like my wife gives me a lot a lot of leeway with it. I feel like if anybody that knows me, that it's like, when, when are you shaving the beard? Like, Is Mel giving you a hard time? I'm like, I was kind of waiting to see like when she was going to give me a hard time about it, and she never really did. Yeah. And I trimmed it before. So <laughs> Trimmed it up some. So here's you know? my problem. My wife likes my beard too much and has literally demanded that I never, ever shave it again. When I went in the bathroom and she heard the clippers and I walked out and said, what do you think, babe? Tears immediately streamed down her face. And I'm not kidding you. She started crying immediately. I was like, it's perfect timing. You're going to Disney World. It'll be back to something of a beard before you come back. So, yeah. So... Beard gang for life. I know mine's not up to par right now, uh, but I'll be back, man. I think you will. I, I find the beard very polarizing to most people. You either get like, wow, like that's that's an incredible, like gorgeous beard. Or like I have some of my other friends are like, what are you doing? That is disgusting. Nobody and, can and say that's that the about friend, your beard. Well, and I do have a few of those. And that's the friend that gets like that immediate hug. And I'm going to just rub the beard like right on their face after they tell me that. Just I, to see how far I can take it. Okay, I shave, <laughs> I shave my beard off maybe like every year and a half. Just to see if I still look chubby. It's a chubby test. So, but I always do still. And I have helpers at work that have asked the boss not to put them with me if I have a bare face because they think I look so wrong. Like, people only know me with my beard. Yeah. So, anyways, beards are iconic. I appreciate yeah. your beard. It's glorious. There's no, not even a patch in it. Well, dude. I think we'll give you a couple weeks. Yeah. You grow it out, and then we'll put the vote up. Oh, we yeah. will put a vote up. I, hey, I'm willing to put my full beard. I mean, I, I know it's not the most think, glorious. We might need a foot race in the beard. That's what we need, is a foot race. Oh, shoot. Be- we just came up with a great neck race, dude. Oh. You can ooh. only race if you have a beard. The beard. The beard race. 
Beard yeah, burns. I can work with that. I can make that happen. <laughs> All right, man. So your tag on Instagram is at VT underscore PT. You are a Virginia Tech guy, a I, hokey. I am, through and through. Yeah? Yeah. Tell us about those years. Um, I think, luckily for me, I had an older brother. Um, I also have a younger brother, but... <laughs> Um, he went to VT first, yeah. um, and that was like my first experience up there, going to visit him, his friends, and I just fell in love with the place. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't been, have you been to Virginia Tech? I haven't, but I have a lot of friends. So there. it's like five and a half hours from here if you drive slow, yeah. four and hours and 45 minutes if you speed. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so it's far away, you know, for an in-state school, but in Blacksburg, I feel like it's just the perfect place yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. It's small enough to feel like a small town. It's a big enough school to feel like a huge school where you yeah. can get lost if you want to. You can get in the mix if you want to. You got mountains. You got rivers. Yeah. You got cold weather. Yeah. I've seen that. It <laughs> yeah. snows a lot more over um, there than over here. So I loved it. Um, yeah. It's just everybody that lives in that town permanently are some of the most friendly people you'll ever meet. Yeah, and that whole town is built around that student experience. So, mm-hmm. and that's actually where my younger brother ended up going too. So nice. Cool. Now, yeah. now let's talk about this for a second. When you went to Virginia Tech, spoiler alert: Stephen is a physical therapist. Okay, <laughs> so when you went to Virginia Tech, had you already decided what you were going to do career-wise? I went into Virginia Tech completely undecided. Really. Um, you can go in an undecided major. I quickly switched to business. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, like, my degree from Virginia Tech is finance and management. Oh, okay. Um, so it wasn't until my senior year that I decided I wanted to go to PT school. Mm-hmm. So that came as a big shock to my dad, to my to uh, my fiance at the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so like... That was a big leap of faith, you know. We get engaged, and then a couple months later, I'm I'm like, I don't think I'm going to do a finance and manager job. I don't think it's right for me. Yeah. I think I'm I am going to go medical, and you know, I think nice. PT school is a thing for me. So it took me a while to get there. Yeah. And you know, it's it's okay, you know. Yeah. Um, so where'd you end up going to PT school? I ended up going to ODU. Okay, so, so you, came, you came here, back here to go to school. Yeah, and actually, like, there was a little gap. Um, I took a year off between um, undergrad and PT school. My wife had taken a job mm-hmm. um, down in Charlotte, so we moved to Charlotte for a year. Um, being a finance and management major, I did have a lot of the science courses and prereqs done for PT school, but I had to take a few more. So I went back to community college, mm-hmm. took the courses that I was missing that year, and that was really like what solidified my decision to become a PT because at the same time I was taking those classes, I was working almost full-time hours um, as an aide in a PT clinic down there, which was like a very pivotal yeah. year for me. It I really imagine. helped me decide that this was the right thing, exactly what I wanted to do, the perfect fit for me. And then... Um, an apprenticeship, I, basically. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of how <laughs> it Inter- works out. I guess in... in, in you have internships through PT school, but, um, but that experience was invaluable Mm -hmm. to me. You know, it's just that I was very lucky to work underneath, um, an outpatient PT clinic underneath the PT 
that had worked for um, Michigan University and West Virginia and was the head trainer there. So I really got to like hone my skills on working with athletes and learning how to do that. Yeah. And just so much knowledge poured on me before I even got into PT school. That's, that's really cool. So I really like feel like I had a leg up on mm-hmm. a lot of the people in PT school because I already knew so much because mm-hmm. I was just enveloped in it for that entire year um, while we were down in Charlotte. So um, then I got, when applying to PT school, I got into a couple and we just decided to head back to ODU to yeah. kind of head home and we lived in Norfolk. Nice. How long does physical therapy school take? Physical therapy school is, um, like about 15 years ago, it switched to a doctorate. Yeah. So when that happened, it switched. Most of the programs are three years around the clock. So you live, breathe, and sleep. Yeah. In the anatomy labs. Yeah. (laughs) You know. I'll tell you, I have a bunch of, I have quite a few friends who are physical therapists, and the, the specializations are like, really really specific like I have a friend who is a physical therapist just for people who suffer from vertigo I have a friend who is a physical therapist just for people who have pelvic issues absolutely so it's pretty it's uh, the the field is has a lot of specializations so yeah that and that's some of the draw I think for a lot of people going to PT school is there's so many avenues you can go and work in the hospital. You can go and work outpatient. You can go and work in people's homes. Yeah. You can go and team up with doctors. You can, mm-hmm. you know, of all different types of medical backgrounds from men, women's health yeah. to lymphedema yeah. and cancer treatment and, you know, it, it, you know, post-stroke and post, you know, heart repair and heart attack. Like, you can work with anything. Um, so well, I think that's, that's one of the best things about PT school. It's got a lot to offer. Yeah, I, so I would um, go up to all my friends at Direct Performance, everybody I've, I've known. Maybe not, some of them aren't friends, some of them are my actual physical therapists. <laughs> like uh, I'd go to Brian Marr, right. who, who's who I visit, because I can go to him at 7 o'clock right across the tunnel, 7 a.m., and not have to ask off work, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I go to Brian, um, and I talk to Rachel. And I would say things like, so if you were to pick one person at direct performance who was like the liaison to the running community, who would it be? Because I was interested in finding that out and maybe touching, reaching out to that person for the podcast. And every time I asked somebody, they would say, Stephen McKenzie. So why, why do you think they'd say that? Probably because early on in the company, mm-hmm. I was the person that focused on the runners. And now we have a couple more therapists that do as well. Some yeah. really great therapists that do. But I think we, myself and Jake, we would dedicate a lot of our time early on, and we still do. Yeah. Just as outreach. And one of the things that was most important to me in the communities that I love the most is the running community. Yeah. So I would spend a lot of my time there. You know, going going to JNA training team you know, runs. Yeah. Going, going to any of the running events I could get to. Yeah. Um, you know, just reaching out to runners and so just helping were, them. Yeah. You were like literally the liaison. Yes. Yeah. I think that's probably why. <laughs> that's why they answered that. <laughs> that's hilarious. So, okay. Let's get into your athletic background. Sure. What is it, man? Like, what did you do in school? 
or did you have anything that you did in school? Yeah, I, I was one of those kids that played everything yeah. when I was little. I mean, I, it was baseball, it was basketball, mm-hmm. it was a little, a little short dabble in football, mm-hmm. and mostly soccer gotcha. for me. Um, so transitioned, I think, probably around middle school to playing mostly soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just below like the travel level. Um, some of that was like family situation. We just couldn't spend a lot of time traveling on the weekend. So I played, I played for ODSC through like middle school and up through initial parts of high school, which is like one of the local travel, travel teams. So we would play in like Western branch and Virginia beach Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of in the seven cities. Yeah. I've, I've noticed soccer players really transition into running really well. I think it's because if you play soccer, you're running like the whole time. <laughs> like I've got a, I've got a friend who's a soccer coach and he will, um, put run on for Strava when he does soccer practice and he gets miles in oh, yeah. during soccer oh, practice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, absolutely. And professionally and now even in high school, they track all that stuff. Yeah. They wear little sensors so they know who's running and who's going the fastest and who's doing the most oh, sprints. Man. They track all that stuff. It's amazing. That's crazy. So what are your running origins? So, like, as running as a sport or as yeah. a hobby? So, going through high school, um, I was, like, right on the cusp every year of making a soccer team. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I didn't make it, and I, w- I was, like, the first guy <laughs> that didn't get called back. So, like, that's a very humbling experience as an athlete. Yeah. And I think it teaches you to give you a little bit more drive mm-hmm. to work a little bit harder. But a lot of that, I think, in this area boils down to, like, whether you played for that travel soccer team that left the area. Because pretty much, like, the whole Kempsville team was the Beach FC team. Gotcha. So some of that boils down to, like, the skill level and some to the team. But fitness-wise, I was right up there yeah. with most of those guys. Um, so for me, I transitioned right into track and cross-country in high school. Mm-hmm. So I ran cross-country track, indoor and outdoor, my last two years of school oh, okay. instead of playing soccer. I just got kind of burnt out yeah. Did on you, it. So that was your origins. Yeah. But currently, you you run. Yeah. You put in runs all the time. Yeah. Um, when did you start running as an adult? Or did you just keep running? I never stopped. Really? Um, you know, I went... Right from high school to running in college, I think it transitioned a little bit more into weightlifting. Mm-hmm. That you know, first year of college, just because I had more time to do it. Yeah. Um, but I always run. I always ran. I I've maybe you know at most taken two three weeks off in total. Yeah. And I always come back to run, dabble. Oh, okay. In it. It's just one of those things for me. It's like it's the best outlet for me. Yeah. So there, there's never a pause for you. Okay. It just you just always you just kept running. Yeah, I mean, outside of an injury, you know, um, yeah. I've always been a runner. Mm-hmm. You also cycle now. I do. How long have you been cycling for? So, actually, my business partner, Jake, got me into cycling a ways back when we were first working together. And I cycled a, maybe five to ten times with him. Mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't really get into it. And yeah. then, um, about a year ago... Maybe a little over a year ago, I told my wife, I was like, I think I'm going to start cycling. Um, and it was somewhat, it started out of necessity because I had had a hip injury and just had been dealing with a lot of issues. And it was the great equalizer for me. Yeah. It enabled me to get the cardio that I was looking for. And now I've just turned in 
to I just love cycling too. Yeah. It's now it's just another huge second passion for me. Mm-hmm. But for me it's something that keeps me healthy. Keeps me keeps me not doing as many miles on my feet running. Yeah. as what was happening before. So yeah. Do you mostly ride solo? It's a mix, but um more recently, I think as things are opening back up with COVID, like we're seeing some of that stuff start back, but it'll dwindle now that it's getting cold again. Yeah. But I would say over the past year, the vast majority of my rides have been solo. Yeah. And then a group ride with four or five guys, sometimes maybe just one other guy or two other guys, sometimes early in the morning or on the weekends. But um, I know this being a running podcast, you know, <laughs> it's weird to talk about cycling, but I think most runners, if they gave it a try, would find it to be super enjoyable. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different type of effort, different type of burn on your body, and but it still fills all those cardio yeah. type benefits that you're looking for, yeah. and that you get out of going on a great run. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you can you can get off a bike with some dead legs, dude. Absolutely, and it's and it's non-impact. So yeah. for a lot of us, I mean, I haven't met a single runner that hasn't been injured. Yeah. You know, maybe that's because I'm a PT, so most of them are coming to me injured. But, but even most of the people I know in the community, everybody has a story. Everybody has an injury. Running's just a lot of impact. Yeah. So, so the Tidewater Striders put together a virtual duathlon, which smacked together running and cycling. And you, you guys had a group of people come yeah. do it together. Yeah. Right. Um, it was actually like. Uh, Ryan Conrad messaged me and was like, I want to do this. And I was like, yeah, I'm in. Totally in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from there, like, me and him got a group of guys. You know, our we had we got five guys together and we did the race and we mm-hmm. just had a great time doing it. Good enough time that I was like, I'm taking this on. We're yeah. going to start doing this. So. It's turning into So something. then we did round two. And we had eight guys. Um, we were going to have nine, I think, but somebody, like, dropped out last minute. And then during that race, we had a couple people track us down and be like, hey, what, how do I get in on this? Like, as we were finishing at Ryan's house, like people came and like drove up and was like, was this a race? Like, what's going on? Like, how do I get in on this? So I was like, man, we got something here. So um, now I'm going to roll with it. Yeah, it's, so, it's like a thing. So if, I, if you guys look at the t-shirt that he's wearing in his currently happening picture... It is a representation of the Great Neck Duathlon. That's it. Yeah, dude. Yeah. So, so it, it's something I'm super stoked about. Yeah. It, it puts my two passions together. It puts the other, you know, community part to it where we get to hang out, mm-hmm. you know, have a good, like, good competition, friendly or unfriendly. You're getting <laughs> at it, you know. Everybody is out there ready to race, ready to win this thing, trying really hard, really high efforts. Um you know, so it's going to be a lot of fun, the next one. But it's just something that I really find myself, like, getting engaged with. And mm-hmm. something that, honestly, I'm going to continue to do. So, like, out of this um, Striders Duathlon and us and me and Ryan getting together with a couple of friends to do it, for me, it's turned into something, like, I'm going to head up for a while. So we're going to run this race every two months. And anybody's welcome. If you got a bike. We've, we had somebody ride on a mountain bike. Yeah. We had somebody ride on a fixie. Last time around, which is just one gear. And they, they killed it, right? And they, oh, he did incredibly well. 
Who's um, that? Matt Sieber. Matt Sieber. He he wrote the thing. I think he was um, he averaged about twenty miles an hour, which in cycling to do that solo on a fixie that's super impressive. Uh, yeah, I can't yeah. do that on on a ten yeah. speed or whatever yeah. speed I have. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, I, I would encourage any of the runners that if you want to give it a try, hit me up, and I'm more than happy to talk to you about cycling and you know where to go from there. Yeah. So. Um, the listeners have heard us talk about how we hung out some this summer already. We were part of an 18-person team for the yeah. Speed Project DIY. Um, yeah. We were part of the Ospreys. Yeah, which Coastal was Virginia Ospreys. Coastal yeah. Virginia Ospreys, <laughs> dude. Team of 18. And uh, me and uh, Stephen and I, we had shared a time kind of shared a two-hour time slot slap in the middle of the night and it's funny because we were like yeah dude we were the we were the ones who were hardcore we were the only ones who wanted to do the nighttime yeah. and then we found out later that everybody wanted to do <laughs> yeah everybody time. wanted those slots and we got them yeah we got we lucked out so we must be a big deal I yeah man <laughs> so we ran what did we run from from 2 a.m to 4 4 a.m i think it yeah, yeah from 2 to 4 yeah because we got yeah. up we got up at 1 30 a.m yeah I, I got up at one thirty a.m. The guy got scared. You weren't going to get up. Yeah, and I was going to have to actually knock and, on your door. And what like a super interesting way to, for you to meet my family? To be like, hey, um, hey, hey, hun, um, I'm going to have a guy come over. He's going to spend the night. I, you haven't even met him, but it's all good. And she was like, what? Yeah, you're. And you're, when I walked out, and your kids, your kids were like, uh, and they were they it, they were actually like really interested. Yeah in me it was oh, really absolutely <laughs> it took them like two minutes to warm up to you and then i think they asked you probably like 800 questions yeah it was that was a fun time we um we ended up taking 15 15th place out of a couple was it over, just over 100 i think it was just over 100 teams yeah, yeah. we had thought for, the, for that freestyle division we had yeah. thought we were going to come in like third but apparently they were missing 1500 strava posts <laughs> yeah it was and kind of was... a total debacle at the end <laughs> and when those came in but it was very fun uh i'll say publicly i really appreciated uh your encouragement there are videos of you encouraging me online as we were running slam in the middle of the night dude yeah so it was That's great a... encouragement yeah, I mean, for us, that was really the first time we really got to hang out for yeah. any extended period. So that yeah. was fun to meet you in that way. And mm-hmm. I think for me, um, that was just a really pivotal experience for me, like during this phase of life that we're in. Yeah, it felt like it came at at a right time Yeah, to be able to just uh, work as a team with people, have a healthy competition. You know, it allowed me to talk some trash, which is really where my gifting lies. <laughs> we have a lot of local runners that are really gifted at that. <laughs> well, my only gifting, my only gifting is talking trash. So I think I, I think a couple people said I was um, I was the water boy for the Ospreys. <laughs> yeah, but I, I will say we pulled our weight. We yeah. definitely did our part. We added miles. Know? Absolutely. You know, let people. Who, we threw down some really solid times. We way more the, solid than what we had been running. Yeah, we let the elites yeah. rest and gave them. Yeah. we gave them some proper cushion. So. And then just the experience to hang out with those that set of guys and finish the way we did, running eight hundreds for like eight hundreds for four, four or five hours, for dude. four hours. 
that you would, know, four hundreds for, for like an hour. For me, that was like nightmarish. I yeah. want you to know that. Just yeah. I'm a big boy, thick boy for life. You know, running eight hundreds, trying my hardest as fast as I can. That was tough for me, man. <laughs> but it was rewarding. It was fun. I and really enjoyed seeing those like. Like uh, so people like Josh Wilkes and uh, Mike Cap just run like they didn't even gas. Yeah. Like it was yeah. just it was just a really cool experience to work together, to celebrate together, to encourage each other. It's just the best. Team races are the best, guys. And it, it's such an interesting experience because as a runner, even though we have such a great community. Your goals are individual, mm-hmm. and you might have a coach, and you might have some friends that want to cheer you on, yeah. and some of us have a lot of friends that want to cheer us on while we're trying to compete those goals, but I think it's completely different when you know there's a bunch of other guys you know, depending on you mm-hmm. to run at a certain level to get us where we want to go. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, it was a be- yeah. I thought it was a beautiful experience, and I appreciated my time that I spent with you there. Um, Let's talk about your current running goals, dude. This is so when I first started the podcast, this was a great question. It was like, and people would tell me the races they're training for, and then all of a sudden, a pandemic hit the world. Yeah. And then, like, the first time I asked this question, I was like, the first time I asked this question during the pandemic and things had been canceled, it got really awkward because I didn't think about the fact that, well, all the things that I was training for are, are the things that people were training for is gone. So, but I think by now people have kind of figured out, you know, why am I still running? So, what are your current goals? I, people ask me this all the time. Yeah, and I always tell people I'm training for life. Yeah, okay. but it, it, it's a little more than that. Yeah, but in general, like that's why I do it. I love to run. For me, it's it's a great equalizer. It lets me let all my steam off completely calms me down, lets me to be the vet best version of me at work, mm-hmm. at home that I can be. Yeah. And when I'm not getting it, I can definitely tell. My wife can tell. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, you need to go for a run. You need to go for a ride. Yeah. Um, but I think, like, I do want to get back to racing. And that's part of the reason that I started the duathlon thing after that first race is to yeah. You know, we can do these smaller races, and we can do them safely. Mm-hmm. Um, so why not set up some grassroots racing while we're going through this issue? Yeah. And I think some of the other local, you know, running companies are starting to develop that. And obviously, like, you know, Jane's done a great job giving us virtual races to run, and the Striders are starting to put together some of these smaller races, and yeah. Nurk's just getting started back up. Mm-hmm. With some of their runs, which feels like a race every time you go out, because yeah, yeah. they always have such a great turnout. Mm-hmm. But um, I think long-term goals for me, the race that broke me, is the uh, one I want to go run again. Oh, the one that got away, huh? And that was Asheville half. A half marathon is plenty of distance for me. <laughs> I don't know that I'll ever bite off a whole marathon. It's, I just don't know that I have the body build for it. I don't know that I have like, I. I want to run. I want to run really fast when I go. Yeah. What feels fast to me. Yeah. So I still feel like I can relatively do that. Yeah. Um, I grew to love 5Ks in high school. So like I love a good 5K anytime so, I can get to it. But at the Asheville, I just completely fell apart. It was the h- first race, the first half marathon that 
I had to stop. I had to stretch out my hamstring against a tree multiple times. I walked, I jogged, I ran, I did it again. You know, mm-hmm. and it was just like, I had a soccer injury um, a couple weeks before the race, pulled a hamstring really, really mm-hmm. bad. And I got it good enough to give it a go. And I was hitting all my marks, hitting, hitting my race pace marks for every mile that I wanted. And then at mile eight, it just blew up and went from, you know, having the best race of my life to the worst I ever had. Yeah. Asheville, isn't that hilly? It is. It's very hilly. This race, there's two, um, two racing events there. One that goes like through town and there's another one that goes to the Biltmore property. And the Biltmore is the one that I did. Mm-hmm. And it's the most gorgeous course I've ever run. Yeah. That property, I don't even know how many acres. It's where the big house, the Biltmore house is. I got is. friends who visit there. Yeah. Regularly. So the half runs, um, you get a little bit of paved road. You get a lot of hills. Um, you get some gravel. You get a little bit of dirt. You even get a little bit of grass. You get to run around the house. You get to run by the gardens. It's just absolutely gorgeous. I mean, and if you do the full, really cool you, if you do the full, you get to run through the vineyard. So it it is a fantastic race. It's a smaller race because they only let so many people on the property. But it's really well put together, and it's a very tough, humbly race coming from like flatland. And I yeah. was ready. I'd done the training. Yeah, I've been on Mount. I used to live by Mount Trashmore, so mm-hmm. I was out there. Every week, yeah. getting my hills in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was ready to go. I just, you know. My business partner always jokes. He's like, if it wasn't for soccer, you'd be a great runner because soccer keeps getting you injured. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You, so, man, so your future goal for running is a revenge race. It's a revenge say, race. I'm going to get you. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like those kind I'm of I'm coming goals. back to, to do that at that pace that I couldn't do. Yeah. You know, and you know, more that, that's a little bit off, um, you know, cause I want to make sure if I'm signing up for something like that, that it's yeah. really going to go. Mm-hmm. But I'm really hopeful that Shamrock, um, this coming year goes off cause I'd really like to run the half. I've never actually run it. Yeah. Um, typically, I'm out of town that weekend because it's the same time the running medicine conference is. Gotcha. So I think it lines up this year gotcha. to work out. Yeah, I um, it's uh, revenge races for other people are really exciting for me because it makes me like really it makes me root for you even harder. Like I can't wait for like Ryan Carroll came on. He said that's Shamrock Fools my my revenge race because he said the next thing he knew he woke up in an ambulance in the middle yeah. of the race. So like. I can't wait to cheer him on like for that. So revenge races are awesome. Yeah. And I think that's one of the awesome things about running. We all are going to have that experience. Yeah. And we're only only really needing to overcome ourselves. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's bad luck we got to overcome. Sometimes it's a bad training decision. Yeah. Sometimes it's a, a accumulation of things, <laughs> you know, that we're doing right or wrong. Yeah. But it's really like running is about improving yourself. Yeah. At the end of the day. Mm-hmm. That's true. So, yeah, that's who I compete against. Absolutely. Is myself. All right, let's get into the advice column to round this episode out. So you can either give us the best advice you've ever received or the best advice you think you can give runners. So I think this is like like a two-piece for me. That's fine, yeah. Um, going through high school and cross-country, I was very fortunate to have one of the most incredible coaches for cross-country 
name's Kendall Tata. The the track at Kempsville is actually named after her because she set a bunch of records Dang. on that track, and she was a fantastic runner, an even better person. Mm-hmm. And she would sit us down the night before races, and she would put all our names up on a board, and she would put the times she thought we could run. And then she would put the other two teams. Usually we would run against two, sometimes, I think it was usually two other teams, maybe three sometimes. And she'd put the names of everybody else and all the times that she predicted them to run. And it was all about visualization. And she was really big on just sitting down and visualizing the race course and knowing what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, how hard you're going to go mm-hmm. so that your brain can get ready for that. Cause there's such a big mental side to running. Yeah. So I would encourage any of our runners out there, even no matter how new you are to visualize your race, get a hold of that course map, go at least ride a bike on it. If mm-hmm. it's, a, if it's a marathon, go ride it. So mm-hmm. you know, what's coming, you know, where the inclines are, you know, where the declines are, you know, you know, where you're going to bank into that turn. Yeah. You know, where the wind hit you really hard in the face. Um, in high school, we ran at Mount Trashmore for cross-country races, which mm-hmm. was just an awesome place to do it. Yeah. So visualizing your race can make all the difference in knowing. And I, I, that's on the running side. Yeah. And then I think professionally, I think the biggest mistake that I see patients making and runners making is biting off too much. And, I, and this usually occurs when you have a set training plan and one of your buddies ask you, hey, I'm going to go run. I'm going to go do this on Saturday. And you just are like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Let's do that. But I would really encourage everybody to like, just take a step back. If you're in the middle of a real training plan for a race, plan those runs in. Mm-hmm. Plan your group runs. Pick Nurk on a Tuesday mm-hmm. to go and do your five miles there and know you're going to have a fast five miles on that night. Pick, yeah. a, sa- pick a Saturday where you know you're going to do a heavy miles with friends come run with me on Thursday mornings, <laughs> you know, that's when, that's when I get one of my group runs in. Yeah. So I, I think that's what I see is while we have such a great running community and everybody's so inviting, sometimes that can be a huge detriment to people yeah. because they get themselves in trouble because before they know it, they're doing way more than what's on their training plan. Mm-hmm. And then they've maxed out and overloaded their mileage for the week. And they didn't even realize it happened because they're having such a good time doing it. And now they're having a horrible time because they can't run and they can't do what they want. And they can't do what they love. And yeah. it really boils down to watching um, your mileage. Yeah. So like one of the things I recommend to most of my patients, and especially for the newest runners out there, is no more than a 10% increase in mileage yeah. per week. If you add up seven days worth of miles and, you, and you're running 30 miles, you should only be adding three more the next week when you're ramping up. Yeah. That makes total sense. And That's I, some yeah, good advice. Yeah. Right there. And I think I think we live in a running world where it's all about volume and social media plays a part and you you see the other guys running fifteen and twenty on the weekends and I covered sixty miles this week and there's such a thing as junk miles and the junk miles are what get your get your body in trouble. Yeah. So I just encourage everybody to like if you're gonna run, have a plan. If you're if you're planning on increasing mileage, yeah. if you're just staying steady, go and run and keeping that same same mileage. But yeah. you know, if you're gonna go up to a half or a full, dial it in and yeah. be smart about it. That's some good advice, yeah. man. And with that, 
we'll wrap up part one. I hope you enjoyed part one of our interview with Stephen McKenzie. If you join us next episode, you'll hear the full-blown story of direct performance from beginning to present. This week's haiku is brought to us by Max Long, who is, on the day of this recording's release, running the Flying Pig virtual marathon. Good luck to Max. This is what he says. Run for your body, run for your mental health, or run for burritos. I love that. Until next time, this is Danny, signing off. Godspeed.